Let's start with a word of prayer. And Father God, we lift you up. We praise your holy name. We gather together as a family, grateful for your word given to us. Grateful that we have a place to gather freely and worship you in all your glory. Lord, I say in all your glory, but we only know the smallest bit of it right now. We praise you for the hope of everlasting life in your son, Jesus Christ, in which we'll be able to see you face to face, to know you as we are known, and spend eternity getting to know you in, in, in just everything that you are. Lord, we praise you this morning in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Who here has a full and complete understanding of God and His Word? An omniscient knowledge of the person and works of Jesus Christ. Raise your hand. Sorry, i got to take my hand down. God says to Job in Job 38... Verses 2 through 4. Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. That, that, God goes on with Job in, in the, those chapters, those closing chapters of that book, but that pretty much puts a stop to it right there, doesn't it? I found that I can read this book over and over again and still not remember every word or grasp every single concept in a way that would make reading it again redundant or boring. Anybody else found that? You can just keep reading this book and glean more and more from it. There's always something that we can learn when we approach the Word of God with humility by His Holy Spirit. There's always something, some way that I need to think more like God does. Some way that I need to be refined. God desires that all His people personally and corporately be sanctified. That we who are seen as perfect, blameless in Jesus Christ, we continue in that sanctification process, set apart for the work of God, growing in our knowledge of Him and His will, seeing the effect of obedience to His Word in our lives. Hebrews chapter 10, 14 beautiful verse about our sanctification process. It says, for by a single offering, he, Jesus, has perfected, perfected, past tense, we are perfected for all time, those who are being sanctified. And we continue in this sanctification process, and in this, this portion of Acts that we're going to be looking at this morning, we will see Peter and the church being sanctified, refined to think more like God so that they can continue being used by God to the spread of the gospel, to share the gospel to the end of the earth. We will see God confronting the traditional perceptions and values of Peter by God's revelation to him. And, and we'll see this as we see God take him through a four-part process. 
First, he will receive the revelation of God. And he must listen to that revelation. Then he must apply that revelation to his life. And then he goes out to testify to what God has said and done. Receive, listen, apply, testify. Go ahead and open your Bibles to Acts chapter 9. We will start at verse 32. And I'm going to read and read and read. So stick with me. You can stay seated today. Acts chapter 9, verse 32. Now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died, and when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, Please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. When he arrived, they took him to an upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. Turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. She opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then, calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to all people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him, and having related everything to him, he sent them to Joppa. The next day as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray, and he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. 
While Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have, what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered, and he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. And Cornelius said, Four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you've been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word he sent to Israel, preaching the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to judge, to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word, and the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. 
And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, What God has made clean do not call common. This happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were, sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel standing in his house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then to Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Reading of God's word. This whole passage hinges on the idea that God has said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. God has made a statement of his will to his people that the gospel message should go all the way to the end of the earth. But we all get caught up at some point, don't we? We all get caught somewhere. See, while today we look at that phrase to the end of the earth as all peoples everywhere within their culture, we see that easily. We comprehend that idea. Peter would have had a much more difficult time understanding and following through on such a command to take that gospel all the way to the end of the earth because of his religious and cultural traditions. Look what he says at verse 28 of chapter 10. He says, and he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. It was not to be done within their culture. See, when this passage begins, Peter doesn't fully comprehend what God has commanded. He is still being controlled in his thinking by the traditions with which he was raised. And it's really hard to shake those things. This is the way we do it because this is the way it's always been done. It must be done this way, otherwise it's not holy. His philosophy on how to follow through on the Great Commission is being filtered through a cultural lens, those things that he was raised in. But God here, is, is he breaks that lens, he breaks that hindrance through revelation, through his words to Peter. God uses his revelation to mold and to shape his disciples so that we can become useful tools in accomplishing his will not our own. In order to get Peter to understand his will, in order to get Peter to start to think like him, there is a quadfecta of revelation. Do you like that word? It's a real word. Quadfecta 
of revelation that must happen. In order for us to continue to be sanctified and conform to the image of our Savior, we must receive God's revelation. We must listen to that revelation and consider what it means for us in our lives. And then we must apply that revelation. We must live it out. And then fourthly, we must testify to what we now know to be true. So here's what happens. In our passage today, chapter 9, verses 32 through 43, Peter finds himself, for one way or another, for one reason or another, drawn away from Jerusalem to Lydda, and, and he takes the gospel with him where he goes. And he goes from Jerusalem toward the coast of Lydda, up to Joppa, and eventually into closer to Gentile territory in Samaria, all the way to Caesarea. And as he does this, we see his gospel ministry and his apostolic authority confirmed. It goes right along with him by the works of the Spirit through him. Verse 34 of chapter 9. What does he do with the first place he's at in Lydda? And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. When Peter does this, it's very much like when Jesus said to the paralytic, take up your mat and walk, right? And then the next place he's in, he's in Joppa. And, and in verse 40, what does he do? He raises up Tabitha. And it's very reminiscent of Jesus raising up Lazarus, isn't it? See, as Peter leaves that hub of ministry that Jerusalem was, we see the exact same authority, the exact same power of the Spirit of God everywhere he goes. Even as he gets further away from Jerusalem and closer to Gentile territory. God is not bound, is he? All the earth is his. He made it. All the peoples of the earth are his. He created them all. And as we see these things unfold, one cannot begin to doubt that Peter is a man of God, can you? As you see these things and this ministry go forth and these great, miraculous evidences of that ministry, right? Peter is certainly a Christian, a man of God, isn't he? And yet, this same Peter would never step inside of a Gentile house. He wouldn't want to become unclean. It's not because it was prohibited by God's law, because, but, but it was simply because culturally it was just too easy to become ceremonially unclean by entering into a Gentile's house and, and touching Gentile things and eating Gentile food. So there were bonus laws, extra laws, to prevent and protect Jews from becoming ceremonially unclean. See, being, being a Christian means legal justification before God as Christ's righteousness is imputed to us, doesn't it? But it does not begin to mean immediate and total perfection in these bodies of flesh during our time here on this earth. So while Peter is a man of God without a doubt and this is being shown in his ministry, there's still some things to be refined in him, aren't there? Still some things that need to be changed. So Peter, like all of us, needs to be sanctified. And so, starting at chapter 10 of our reading today, God steps in 
We see God using revelation to shape his people, to bring them to a greater knowledge of who he is and his desires, that they would begin to to think and see things the way that he does. He begins with Cornelius in chapter 10, verses 1 through 8. First, God reveals to Cornelius, verse 3, about the ninth hour of the day, Cornelius saw clearly a vision of an angel of God coming in to say to him, Cornelius, right? Cornelius receives words from God at this point. And we can see in this passage that Cornelius pays very close attention. He listens to what is being said in verse 4. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? Cornelius certainly wanted to know, What is it that you have to say? He's going to pay attention. He's going to listen carefully. I'm paying attention. Tell me what you have to say. And thirdly, we see that Cornelius applies what he heard from this man of God, this angel that had appeared to him. Verse 8, what does he do? Having heard the words from the angel and having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. He took action upon what he heard, what he knew from the angel. The words of God come to him. He listens to them. He takes action. He applies it. He sends them. Also in those verses 7 and 8, when the angel who heard, when the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants, devout soldier from among those who attended him, and having related everything to them, he sent them. He testifies to them what he had heard from God to those in his household as he recounts to them everything that had happened. So in Cornelius' life, we see that he, he receives God's word, God reveals words to him. He pays attention. He listens to those words. What is it, Lord? He applies what he heard as he sends them out, and he testified to them every last word that the Lord had said to him. And the result of this action of Cornelius, this all four things, we see that his friends and his relatives, his close friends, many people, verse 24 of chapter 10, And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them, and he called together all his relatives and close friends. Sorry, not all his relatives, but called together his relatives and close friends. Verse 27, as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. Cornelius got this group together. He knew this was significant. He wanted people to know about it, so he brought them in. And as a result, they received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And the Spirit of God comes down upon them in power. Verse 44, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on Gentiles. Great results from somebody who received the revelation of God listened to it, applied it, and testified to it. Now let's, let's look at Peter. Again, God reveals his will, and Peter receives it as in a trance. Verse 10 of chapter 10. He became hungry. He was up on the rooftop, wanted something to eat, but while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance. And then he starts seeing the vision, starts hearing what God has to say. But Peter doesn't just hear it and walk away, does he? 
Peter, Peter listens to what God is telling him. And, and maybe I could have chosen a better word. I could have changed this word here. Um, but what, what I mean is, is not just hearing, but listening. Paying attention to what he is hearing from God. Intelligently taking in what God is saying to him. Letting it sink into his heart and into his mind. He pays attention, noting that God is testing him in some way as as he sees this vision of all these unclean things and and the words of God are to, to rise, kill, and eat. And Peter said in verse 14, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Are you testing me? What's going on here? Happens three times, doesn't it? And after all is said and done, after Peter is done questioning what is happening, he spends time being inwardly perplexed. You see that in verse 17? Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed, he was just wrestling with this inside of himself, thinking about it. What could God have meant by this? In verse 19, it uses the word pondered. Peter was pondering. What? what? He just couldn't stop thinking about what God had told him. Note with me from this passage that while God rightfully expects our obedience, because he will never, never tell us something wrong or to do something wrong, will he? He rightfully expects obedience. God does not require that that obedience be blind or thoughtless. Christianity is a thinking person's faith. Christians are not dull-witted or a stupid people. We, we are created to be thinkers. And then Peter applies what he's seen and heard from God, doesn't he? He goes with the Gentiles into a Gentile home applying what God showed him about unclean food to what would have been an unclean people, verses 28 and 29. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation, but God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came. Without objection, I ask then why you sent for me. Verses 34 and 35. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. So Peter applied what he had heard, what he had listened to from God. Because Peter allows the words of God to question and check his personal and inherited philosophy. The the message of salvation of, of Jesus Christ even goes to the Gentiles, doesn't it? Because Peter allowed the words of God to question and check himself. And one one, one could say that because he did this, because he allowed God to refine his point of view on how things should be, to sanctify him, you and I have salvation. 
We have salvation in Jesus Christ because Peter not only received and listened and applied, but he also testified to what God had said to him, what God had done with him. Because he did this, we have salvation ourselves. As he takes this revelation, what he has seen, learned, and experienced from it, and he shares it with the church. And we see that in chapter 11, verses 1 through 18. And the results of this being the opening of the gospel mission to the Gentiles, where they are and within their culture, the way we ourselves see that today, don't we? By revelation, God has changed how the church thinks about others. To begin to think more like he does, to sanctify them, making them even greater instruments for the gospel mission to the end of the earth. 11.18 is a beautiful verse. When they heard these things, they fell silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Is the revelation of God important? How important? Is the revelation of God important to you? How important? What if Peter or Cornelius didn't listen? They heard the words of God, but they didn't really think about him, didn't really pay too much attention to him. What if Peter or Cornelius hadn't applied what they heard? What if, what if they had decided, what if Peter had decided not to testify to the church and just kind of went through this one situation on his, on his own and said, okay, that, that's good. I'm glad this household has God and now I'm just going to go back to what I was doing and didn't, didn't take it to the church. See, the, the revelation of God, it's in every single one of our houses, isn't it? It has the unfortunate tendency to sit next to the bed and hold our coffee mug. But that's not what it's designed for. God wants to see us personally and corporately sanctified in order that we would think like him and align our wills with his own and become greater tools for his glory and the salvation of those in our soil. Those, those sphere of influence lives that we have, those lives that we touch on a regular basis who need the salvation that can come in Christ and Christ alone. But the sanctification process goes far beyond simply having a heady or deep theological knowledge of who God is and what He has done. We need to receive the revelation of God we need to listen to that revelation. We need to apply that revelation. And we need to testify to that revelation. It begins with receiving it, doesn't it? We need to read the letters, those books that God has given to us. 
We need to study God's word. We need to take it in, soak it in. We need to go to these morning and evening services where we hear the word of God declared, hopefully in truth, but you're bringing your Bibles just to make sure this guy up here isn't lying to you, right? Reading them yourselves? Bible school. We have some great teachers there. Go. Bible studies at various times and places. Bible training center. We've got, we've got a great library down the way. Have you ever been in the library? Some great study resources in that library. Go down there, grab them, use them. If you're like me, you like books and you want to touch it and see it. And after we take in that revelation to God, then let us open our ears and listen to him. Chew on God's word. Chew on it. Don't just hear it, but listen to it. Soak it in and realize how it could impact you personally. No matter what age you are. If you are 10 years old in here, if you are 90 years old and you're here, the word of God is here to impact you, not just to be a coffee cup holder. We need to be people who think about what does God mean when he says this or that. We need to be those who ponder it, consider it, and and be as inwardly perplexed as Peter was when we run across something that seems like a struggle for us. Wrestle with God like Jacob did. Question God. It's okay to question God. See, God can handle your questions. A lot of Christians can't handle them, but I guarantee you, God can. But that's why God's given us a body that we can build each other up, that we can encourage each other, share these questions, debate about them, wrestle with them together with one another. If you're curious as to whether or not God can handle your questions, look at Jeremiah chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. Jeremiah's talking to God and he says, Righteous are you, O Lord, when I complain to you. Yet I would plead my case before you. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all who are treacherous thrive? You plant them and they take root. They grow and produce fruit. You are near in their mouth and far from their heart. Jeremiah is saying, why do you put up with this stuff? Jeremiah is questioning God. Look at passages in the Psalms. David himself, great men of God, question him. God isn't afraid of it. Because God can handle it. God has answers for our questions. Chew on God's word. And while we do it, we need to listen for God's answers. We need to be ready to receive even when things are difficult to receive. Do we, like Peter, allow the revelation of God to question and direct us? Or do we just want to question and direct God? Do we allow the word of God, that revelation of God, to direct our values, our actions, our desires, and our activities? Do we let it impact us? See, we need to let God change us to mold us and shape our thinking as we take in his revelation, as we take in his word. If it doesn't change us, we aren't reading it. We aren't listening to it. 
We're only receiving. We stopped at that point. We need to listen. Hear what God has to say to us. We need to let... We need to value Him and His ways above our religious or cultural ways, our our own preferences or whatever we're used to. Let me insert here a a commercial for small groups. I already mentioned it, that that God gave us this family to, to debate with and to share questions with and to be open with. And that is one of the purposes of joining a small group, getting into there with, with a small group of, of family in Christ where we can just throw these things around and, and be safe. A small group should be a safe place for us to debate and throw things out there and then go to the Word of God and find right answers together. It's good to listen, to chew on God's word together, building each other up and encouraging one another in this. But we don't need to just chew on God's word and come to good conclusions. Once we come to those conclusions and decide we know what God wants from his word, we need to apply it, don't we? We must live it out. God's revelation takes no effect if we hide it under a basket. Mental ascension of the truth of what God has told us, is the same thing that demons have. That's what James tells us in the book of James. They know who God is, but they don't acknowledge him in their actions or their obedience. They don't trust him. They don't live for him. We need to go beyond realization and take it to reality. It's one thing to read 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And it's a completely another thing to actually love someone, isn't it? I had somebody come in to my office and tell me that because we don't have healings and because we don't speak in tongues, we are a dead church. Well, I tell you this, if we aren't loving each other, if we aren't getting together and building each other up and encouraging one another, we are dead. We need to love. Because we can talk in tongues all day long and we can have healings all day long, but if we have not love, we are just a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. We are nothing. We need to walk in love. Apply what God has said to us. We need to make the word of God, his revelation to us, real. Live it out so that others can see Christ in us. Look at the effect of what Cornelius and Peter did with what God had told them. They took people from the temporal to the eternal, from darkness into light, from death to life. And let's recognize this from this passage as well. We need to take what God has told us out into the world because good people don't receive eternal life. Cornelius was a good man, wasn't he? He stood for God and the things of God. He was a God-fearing man, and everybody recognized it in him. He was so good that God took notice of him. But God sent Peter to Cornelius and his family because they needed the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for eternal life. They needed the gospel. They needed to accept Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. They could never be good enough of their own accord. 
So let us testify to it. Let us share what we learn from God's revelation with brothers and sisters to build them up, to encourage them that they too would be sanctified, set apart as tools in the hands of God, beginning to think more like he does, aligning their wills with his own. Is God's word motivating to us anymore? Is it changing us or has it become stale? Has it become stagnant in our lives? Just something that resides in our homes next to us. See, his word, it remains sharper than any two-edged sword to this day. And it will accomplish all that it has been sent out to accomplish. It will not return to him void. Perhaps it's not his word that has become stale, but we ourselves, as we no longer respond to what God has told us. Perhaps it's stale in our lives because we've stopped applying it, stopped allowing it to motivate us to step out, stopped allowing it to to make us uncomfortable as we go into Gentile houses, as we cross social and cultural boundaries and traditions for the sake of Christ. Are we letting ourselves be refined and sanctified by God's word as Peter was that we might become more effective instruments in his hands for the fulfilling of the Great Commission, that sharing of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that good news that others would have the same salvation that we hold claim to? Are we ready to receive, to listen, to apply it, and testify to it? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word given to us. And we pray, Lord, that it would carry us on, that it would spur us on, that it would poke us and prod us and wake us up. We acknowledge here and now that you are the living God. You are not dead. And your spirit is alive and living in us. Lord, I pray that you would fill us up to overflowing. And we would live for you. And we pray all this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.